Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Mahek Shah. He's a faculty member and a researcher at Harvard, and he leads a Harvard Business School's Value Measurement for Healthcare Project. And they look at time-based activity, cost accounting, essentially, uh, globally to understand you know, the actual cost of healthcare delivery. And uh, Dr. Shah teaches and advises executives at large health systems and in governments and companies how to better understand uh, measuring their outcomes and costs of the various health initiatives they have so far as I understand. But how are you doing, Dr. Shah? I'm doing well, Rich. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to our conversation. I, uh, it's, it's a great great time to be in healthcare. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about um, how did you end up in this niche of healthcare? And then I want to ask you about the, you know, some of the specifics of what you do. Certainly. Uh, yeah, I, I've always wanted to solve big, complex problems. And actually, before healthcare, before being at Harvard Business School, uh, as a researcher and, and teaching faculty member, I I was I started my career actually in in investment banking at Citigroup, and so you know learn at a very large company, and you know always being able to analyze and solve big problems for our clients, and I kind of use that mindset and that approach into the healthcare system with a desire to be a uh, on the provider side by you know being able to improve the lives and the quality of lives of people. And at the same time, you're solving a large problem where, in this case, it's the human being, and they come to you with a, an issue uh, that might be acute or it might be chronic. And so it's up to you and your team to then decide on what the, the appropriate treatment is and the appropriate management thereafter. And as I was going through my medical training, I noticed while I was on the wards in the hospital at a clinic uh, talking to patients at the bedside, that there was richer, more systemic issues in our healthcare delivery system that needed to be addressed. And I, I made a choice right then and there about, let's say, 13, 14 years ago that I wanted to spend my time doing a couple of things. And that's always being on the cutting edge of whatever is happening in the industry that I'm in. And, this, and so that was healthcare. And always motivated, driven to solve large, complex problems that needed to be addressed uh, at a large scale, and, and you know whether that's a national level or whether it's an international level, one way or another, I wanted to do that day in and day out. And as I approached that mindset and continued with that mindset, I, that led me to roles, you know, within a consulting uh, type of role, advising, entrepreneurial roles, and then led me to uh, being a researcher here at Harvard Business School, where we really focused a lot around addressing the value equation in healthcare and what does value in healthcare look like. And specifically, my area of interest was around uh, how do we measure the value and how do we measure cost of care like we do in other sectors. So what's the experience been like? You know, what are there particular conditions you're looking at to see the cost of delivering the healthcare or what, what kind of projects are you working on specifically? Sure. So we, we've worked on projects across a number of medical conditions. So the first sort of understanding around value-based healthcare is that the, the unit of analysis that we are at, we 
conduct is very much at the patient level, whereas in traditional healthcare practice, everything has been viewed at a very siloed level, at the hospital, at the department level, whereas value-based healthcare and the work that we do and I do is really focused around the patient and at the front lines of care delivery. So what what does it take to uh, really address and, and treat a particular medical condition uh, and or measuring what it costs to treat uh, a group of, of particular patients or people? Uh, because, for example, the frail elderly, well, over 65, uh, many of which are very, very uh, sick and have a lot of needs in the health, from the healthcare system, but also have a high cost that they, that they uh, face, not only for themselves, but to the system itself. And so they, this group of people needs a specific area of method of treatment and, and uh, a team around them that is sort of focused in that area. And so we, we've worked across a number of medical conditions from uh, hip and knee replacement, so treating osteoarthritis, to you know, various types of cancer uh, care delivery, uh, and now you know we're getting into more and more into primary care and understanding the nuances of how to treat uh, people within the primary care space, uh, as well as uh, other chronic conditions. So, what are you noticing from your analysis? Is it very sloppy the way it's done? Uh, you know, is it way too expensive for what the, the value is? I mean, what kind of things stick out at you? Well, it's hard to say whether or not it's expensive because the way we do cost analysis is really different than how most healthcare systems uh, even measure costs or think about costs. So I would say that the, the the learning so far has been that you know the very few health systems and hospitals have a true understanding of what it actually costs to deliver healthcare, and that might be surprising to a number of people that are listening, but the way we quantify costs in healthcare is virtually different than how we do it in manufacturing, how we do it in retail, how we do it in finance, and how we do it in virtually every other sector of the economy. Uh, because we don't look at costs in healthcare at the resource level. So we don't think about, well, how much does it cost for a physician's time plus some of the equipment that's used plus the drugs that they might be uh, prescribing, etc. We kind of make a lot of assumptions to create charges that we then pass on to an insurance company that is covering the patient and then the uh, you know the leftover is, is left is left to the uh, the patient to uh, to pay and so what a lot of our work has been is is helping systems understand how they can increase value in their healthcare system how they can organize around value and around the patient how to better understand and measure their outcomes, and how to better understand and measure their real cost of care delivery. Well, why do they not, it doesn't even sound like they attempt to measure things accurately. I mean, you know, how do they react when you come in and propose maybe a different way of doing things? Or, I mean, what's your solution to this? Yeah, so I think there's multiple reasons why healthcare is where it is. Uh, and, you know, that would be a whole separate podcast for, for us. But essentially what it is is that, you know, it's, it's understanding where the value lies. And the value lies at the medical condition level and at the patient level and reorganizing around the, uh, your customer and healthcare or customer patient. And, and understanding what goes into that and how medicine is evolving from an individual sport, so to speak, i.e. the doctor like uh, someone like me, 
to we're mobilizing into more of a team-based school. You know, not, so it's not just the physician is involved. It's the physician, the nurse, the nutritionist, the pharmacist, the uh, medical assistant, uh, et cetera, all involved with treating this particular uh, you know, medical condition or a particular group of patients. And, and so it's understanding what what is that team look like and what activities should they be doing to optimize and deliver the best outcomes for uh, for the patient. And, and frankly, that's what every physician, you know, goes into medicine to do. And they're still doing that, but the system itself is not organized to in, to align incentives around increasing value based on outcomes. What's incentivized to do right now in the majority of the country is to do another test or do another procedure uh, where that's, you know, known as the fee-for-service model, where you're rewarded for doing more, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing the right thing. Well, so so what do you what do you think the hospitals are thinking, or the people that are creating this economic model are thinking? You know, when you speak to them, are they surprised by what you're saying, or do they resist what you're saying, or what? How is it? How's the flow of the conversation go? Yeah, they they know that things need to change um, in the healthcare space. I mean, there's a lot of movement around value-based healthcare and do the need to do it. I don't think that it's a new concept to most healthcare executives or CEOs. Uh, it's about how do they actually continue to evolve with the change that's occurring on the delivery side. And so that is, you know, going that's going at a, a pace where it requires really a full understanding of what healthcare delivery will look like in the future, and the future of healthcare delivery is reorganizing around value um, because that's how we do things in every other part of the economy. And so it's helping organizations and really develop a, a plan and a toolkit uh, to better incorporate measurement into their uh, practice uh, as well as incorporating an understanding of what their real costs of care are, so that they can remain a leader in their uh, in their community, as well as continue to grow uh, as the delivery model changes, not only here in the U.S. but worldwide. Well, what happens if, uh, if tomorrow all the hospitals and doctors wake up and convert to your model? What do you think the effects should be? Well. Uh, that won't happen, but as, as wishful as I'd like it to be, but, you know, if we're organized around a value-based healthcare system, it fundamentally aligns all the stakeholders in the healthcare, and it allows people, the, the providers of care, to deliver and act on things that contribute to a better outcome that matter to patients and uh, would eventually reduce the total cost of care because you're doing things up front that might that increase value. And so some of those things might be uh, in the preventative space, or you might be, you know, tackling and intervening someone, getting someone who just had a hip hip or knee replacement a phys- access to a physical therapist earlier than you would otherwise, because you know that that's going to improve their ability to uh, go back to their quality of life and their daily activities that they wanted before. And so what it does is it aligns incentives around uh, for physicians because they're now not incentivized to do more testing or do more uh, procedures, but they're, they're, they're aligned to do things that actually contribute to the end result, uh, whatever that health outcome is. And for patients, they feel that 
everyone, uh, it's not just the doctor that's really looking out for them or, or one individual. It's a team, you know, an expert team that is devoted to their care and understands the nuance um, so that when they do need follow-up or do they have questions, they know who to reach out to. And for the patients and for people, it really has a sense of comfort in the sense that they feel like they're getting more out of the system that they are investing their time and, and themselves in uh, because they know that they you know, care is more coordinated in a value-based healthcare system. Care is more easily uh, uh, measured, and and there's just a higher level of satisfaction when when there's a it is when your alignment of incentive is is around value and for. Do you think that hospitals and doctors are just trying to get as much money out of a patient as possible, or is that unfair to say that? No, I think most physicians and hospitals are in the business of healthcare to do what's best for patients. I think that it's it's a very challenging time in healthcare because of a lot of moving parts, and that you know there's a lot of there's sort of multiple levers and multiple wheels moving at the same time. So it's really hard to try and change one thing without not affecting the rest. Um, and so that's why we always come back to the, the value-based healthcare framework and, and you know, focus around reorganizing into multidisciplinary teams. You know, the second arm is to measure outcomes. The third is to measure costs uh, the way we should and, and then pay on pay appropriately for the care through what we believe is what we call referred to as bundle payments uh, and so forth. So if you can, you know, define value in the sense that value is the outcomes that matter to patients over the cost to deliver on those outcomes, then you can find ways to, to increase that value equation uh, from a directional standpoint. So, uh, you know, you can do some the areas of quality improvement and performance improvement just on the processes alone, no new technology, no new drugs, just reorganizing the way you uh, have patients go through your system can increase value because you're able to identify things that allow people, uh, allow the doctors and nurses to practice at the top of their license. And through this exercise, you're also able to eliminate things, activities that don't add value uh, to the patient because they just don't. And you don't know what those activities are until you actually sit down and, and kind of go through an exercise that we we work with health systems on uh, to develop. Do you, do you follow up with, um, you know, let's say you're doing a particular treatment for uh, diabetes. It seems like it would be important to follow up over the long term. You know, we tried X and it had like a 12% efficacy rate. So we did Y and it was, you know, 32% efficacy. So you'd have to follow up for quite a long time prior to see results. Does any of that happen? And then that info is fed back into, you know, how healthcare is delivered. Yeah. So we, you know, we stay in touch with all of the partners that we work with and the teams that we, we've uh, done work with, you know, as, as much as we can. And, you know, we, we like to hear, we, we leave an open, uh, you know, an open door in the sense that, you know, as things move forward and you continue to incorporate value-based healthcare into your organization, as well as the uh, improved measurements and so forth, uh, you know, let us know how things are going, and if you run up on any issues, then we can provide some guidance or advice. Uh, and if you if things are going well, we want to hear about it because you know we're we're a place that can and likes to share successes within this uh, within within healthcare. And uh, you know, value based healthcare is one of the most positive things that is coming out of the healthcare system these days.
you know, in terms of the true north of where we need to go. And so we always love it when we hear from, from our organizations that we've worked with of, of how they're doing. But I mean, the very nature of healthcare, though, is that there's a time lapse in there. You know, just because you do a certain procedure on a patient or you look at something, you know, the result will not happen immediately. Sometimes it may take days, weeks, months, et cetera. So I think in order to really get good good information, you'd have to follow the patients that were treated a certain way versus another way over time. And then look back and say, oh, did they live longer? Were they more mobile? You know, were they, uh, did they have less relapses? I mean, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and so that's where tracking those outcomes that I mentioned before, the types of outcomes, is really important. Uh, you know, uh, and we encourage and we help health systems incorporate tools and ways to measure those outcomes because it is important to look at the long-term care. Care doesn't end when they leave a hospital or leave a doctor's office, you know. It's, it uh, occurs at the home. It occurs uh, in between uh, home and work. You know, we spend, you know, and over only about 3 or 4% of our time is spent sort of engaged with the healthcare system. So there's a whole 95, 96% of your life is spent outside. And so, you know, there are companies and there are players involved with trying to capture what those activities are and, and various health-related measures to then provide health systems and hospitals that are invested in their patient uh, that data um, to monitor uh, how they're doing. And, and that's why we emphasize around measurement of, you know, various outcomes and not just the clinical outcomes and not, if you have diabetes, not just your A1C levels, but Everything else that is sort of important is, you know, how are you, are you able to do the same activities that you did before, uh, your quality of life, how's your mood, how's your mental health? Uh, those things are also important. They're all kind of the collective of, of the outcomes that are important. And so a good example I can give you is when you have a hip and knee replaced and you have knee surgery, you know, the outcomes that matter to patients is not necessarily just percentage of flexion and percentage extension over time. That is a one of many outcomes. What really matters is if you're playing golf before or soccer or sport, you know, you might want to you want to go back and do those activities. Or if you're an elderly person and you have grandchildren, you want to be able to play with your grandkids like you were before your operation. But those things are not regularly tracked in a standardized fashion in our healthcare delivery. And and right. so, but we think that those those outcomes that's what matters to you and I. And so those should be, you know, very regularly tracked and measured by the, the, the health systems uh, and not just sort of, you know, a one-off that your doctor may ask you every so often. So that's how you should measure success, functional outcomes, and then looking at uh, in order to, to really assess how, how much it costs to deliver on those outcomes, you have to measure costs in a similar uh, similar fashion at the patient level. Well, I've been in the healthcare system several times, and so has my family, but uh, we've never really once had anyone do much of any follow-up beyond, like, a cursory, like, you know, hey, are you all right? So it seems like it's pretty absent from the healthcare system completely, any follow-up, any anything. Yeah, and a lot, you know, there's many reasons, like, like a lot of things in healthcare, there's multiple reasons why that is, and I think one of them is the lack of incentives you know, to follow up, right? So they will follow up if there's testing involved. There's an incentive because then they get this bill for those things, right? Lab, um, another visit if you come in, et cetera. But think about it if if they're responsible for the entire cost of care over like a period of time that's 
predefined and within the evidence, you know, a year, two years, whatever, then they would be encouraged to follow up with you on a regular basis because otherwise it's going to cost them a lot more if you fall off the wagon and get sick or you, you don't have a good recovery, right? You know, if if if, um, if there's a, a part of a car that starts to go bad, but you don't follow up with it, it's going to cost you a lot more down the line to fix, right? Yep. And so the value-based healthcare says that you need to align the incentives of, okay, if the optimal, if the right outcome for you after you get your hip and knee replaced is to, you know, be able to go about your, your quality of life and improve it by being active, playing with your family, spending time with them, being able to travel, then you should be in, you should be measured and paid based on are you meeting that outcome. Right. That's true. That's true, yeah. So what's it like when um, you start a consulting gig with, uh, you know, a company or, you know, even a government? What, what kind of steps do you go through and, you know, who would be a good candidate for you to work with? Yeah, I know. I think so. a lot of it is kind of understanding the organization itself. So where they're at in their in their sort of strategic plan initiative, what sort of questions and big, big uh, pain points are, uh, and where do they want to go? You know, where do they see themselves? Do they want to focus on particular areas? Do they want to expand and grow? Do they want to better understand what their high-cost drivers are? Um, if it's, if it's a, more of a single-payer system or a government that's the funder, it's often, okay, what are the big categories of conditions that are important to you? And oftentimes it's, you know, chronic primary care, it's women's health, it can be uh, hip and knees because of the, or, you know, hip and knee surgery is one of the more common uh, procedures done in the world. And so it's really kind of a listening and understanding of what their current organization is like and then what have they been exposed to from the the research and the outputs of value-based healthcare, and then being able to then from there go in and scope out a, a reasonable project uh, to engage uh, engage in, because there are sort of three criteria that I always look for with with both these projects, and that's one, ensure that it's meaningful, and and the second is that it's actionable, and then the the third is a, is a desire and hope that it's replicable in other areas of their organization. And if we can meet those three criteria, and if I can, uh, through a initial project and an engagement, then I, I feel like I've I've accomplished, uh, uh, you know, had a win-win with that organization. Okay. Well, very good. So what's the best way to, uh, you know, for interested parties to get in touch, talk about potential consulting, collaboration, that stuff? Yeah, so I encourage people to, uh, you know, look up Google uh, Value-Based Healthcare, Harvard Business School, uh, even look up myself, uh, you know, Dr. Mahek Shaw and Value-Based Healthcare. I'm on Twitter at Mahek underscore MD, and so you can reach out to me that way and just, you know, expose yourself to the work and, and some of the things that I've put out into the online community and domain uh, and, you know, take it from there. I think that, uh, you know, there's various layers, everything from large health systems, uh, to suppliers, you know, device companies, big pharma companies that are all trying to eager and, and uh, have a strong desire to understand and evolve into a more value-based healthcare organization. Uh, governments, so forth, are trying to better manage and treat their population because, as you know, healthcare is the most is the biggest expense for uh, government uh, a lot of times, as well as a corporation. And so, 
it's it's in their best interest to find ways to be more cost effective, uh, to second deliver a higher level of satisfaction to their not only their employees but to their citizens if they're a, if they're a government funded health system, and third to to really improve outcomes across the board for their for their patients um, and for their citizens because a a productive workforce is a healthy one and. And for organizations to really have that in a long, in a very long-term basis, you need to find ways to increase value for that. And and there's enough money in this. You know, in the U.S., at least, we spend three trillion a year. We spend close to 20% of our GDP. So you know, there's there's plenty of money in the system to be, um, improve the way we deliver care. It's just a matter of kind of stepping back and and looking at how we've organized delivery and to organize go back to you know organizing around the patient you know for too long it's been organized by around the doctor and the provider uh, which mm. and remember that we're in the business of improving lives for people and it's a, it's a human it's a privilege to be in the healthcare space it's a privilege to be a doctor uh, and I'm just trying to do my part by changing the system and leading that change in order to, to create an environment for practitioners and people on the front line like doctors, nurses, uh, medical assistants, techs, to to deliver and practice at the top of their license, what they're trained to do, uh, do less clicking and more talking, less clicking right. more listening. And I think that the, the providers win. And the best part of it is, is that patients and, uh, and their families will win as well. Yeah, when you say less clicking, more talking, I, I picture my doctors sitting there at the computer clicking away. And you're right, I don't know how much they're listening. It's certainly clicking and entering, entering data in. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole lot of literature around how <laughs> the, uh, the clicking and the EHRs have, have led to, to changes in, in how we perceive our, our doctors. Um, and how doctors even perceive their relationship with patients. You know, there's there's a there's a funny saying I heard recently was, you know, there's a what's what's the new Saturday night date for physicians? And it used to be, you know, dinner in a movie or dinner in a restaurant. You go have a nice glass of wine and a meal. But now yeah. Saturday night date is uh, catching up on paperwork uh, in front of the computer, uh, doing clicking that you didn't get to during the week. And, yeah, and that has to change, and and I think that if we can we can remember and go back to aligning around value, uh, patients will win, providers will win, and the experience of healthcare will change. Well, very good. Well, Dr. Shab, thank you for coming on the podcast, and uh, you know the work you're doing is super important. So appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, Rich. Uh, thanks for having me, and it's uh, a pleasure to do this. You've been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.